Welcome to this week's edition of Everything Fast Pitch by Fast Pitch Prep. Coach Don and I are here in the Cherokee Batting Range podcast studio getting ready to record episode number 202. Got a really good show lined up for you today in our warm-up segment. We're going to talk about our city of the week, player of the week, equipment tip of the week, have a fun did you know, and a fun listener question, and of course, Paige's power play. In our leadoff topic, we're going to talk about coaches who yell, some things about that and some points that we want to raise. On our cleanup topic, we're going to talk about a phenomenon that just seems to be more and more evident to me on a daily basis. Is that I think we just have too many travel teams, and I think that there's explanations for why and, and problems that that's causing. And then our coaching tip of the week, we're going to talk about one of the oldest axioms that we've ever heard about, look good, play good. So Don, before we get into any of the topics, let's talk about our sponsors. First, the Anderson Bat Company. Everything Fast Pitch is very proud to have Anderson Bat Company as our presenting sponsor. Anderson Bat Company is using the latest and greatest bat technology to corner the market in the fast pitch world. They have the minus 9 rocket tech, the minus 10 carbon, and the minus 11 carbon light. Anderson Bat Company is using this technology to put a high-performing bat in the hands of hitters that really know the difference between a good bat and a great bat. We're also working with Anderson to provide a discount for all of our listeners. Go to the Anderson Bat Company website and order your bats. Use the EFP20 discount, which is for everything fast pitch, and you'll get a 20% discount. It's a great way for you to save a little bit of money on a great bat and also help support everything fast pitch at the same time. And as always, please take advantage of that EFP20 discount. I noticed a post on Facebook yesterday, another person doing a unsolicited non-affiliated evaluation of the Anderson Rocket Tech, comparing it to um, the bat that seems to break all the time. Right, right. Um, and another uh, another video pointing out the fact that the uh, Anderson is outperforming the bat that breaks all the time that everybody seems to think they have to have. So uh, just uh, check out Anderson. Obviously, it supports us. It helps us, but uh, it's a great bat, something that Coach Don and I really believe in. Also, let's talk about patreon.com slash everythingfastpitch. We've got a great group of patrons. We do appreciate them. They do an amazing job for us. They have kept this podcast alive. If we want to continue to grow, if we want to continue to add some things to the program, uh, continue to upgrade, uh, those things all have expenses attached to them. And if we're going to be able to do those things, adding some more patrons would be a really, really good thing. We really do enjoy doing the podcast. Coach Don and I and Stan get uh, get together every week, and we have a blast You know, just kind of talking and, and getting caught up on things. Um, but obviously it's not something that we're getting rich doing, but we want to keep doing it and we want to do it well. So if you're in a position where you can become a patron, there's three different levels of support, five, 10 or $20 a month. And if you see value in what we're doing, if there's a, a value in, in the messages and the information that we're sharing, we would love for you to support it. So go to patreon.com slash everything fast pitch. So now in our warm up segment, let's talk about the city of the week, a place that I've been to uh, a bunch of times in my life. Marshfield, Wisconsin. Well, that's awesome. Again, it, it seems like we're catching a lot of uh, ears up north where it's still quite cold, and uh, I'm sure they're just as anxious as we are to get outside and get going, but that's great when we get uh, an area up there and close to home for you. Well, one of the things that we did quite a bit when I was coaching at uh, UW Parkside is we did what we called our roadshow clinic, and we would go to different locations around the state and do little one-day player clinics. Certainly, it was a fundraising tool for the program, and it was also a great recruiting tool because um, we wanted to be able to say that we you know, knew and, and, and see people. were yeah. able to work with a, a lot of kids. And Marshfield um, was one of those places that uh, we did the annual trek, great city. Uh, they had a really nice big field house at their high school, so it was a great facility for us to do the camps and clinics. Recruited a bunch of players from that area, uh, that middle of the state area, Marshfield, Stevens Point, was an area that had a lot of really talented players that we were able to recruit over the years, and just a great place. And obviously, uh, there's a, a bunch of people up there that are listening to the podcast that are supporting what we're doing, and obviously it's fun for us anytime we see the numbers jump in a place. Um, and it's always fun when it's someplace that we've got some history with or a little bit of familiarity with. For sure, and it's nice uh, that people are sharing, right? There's tons of info, and you can go back a long ways in the archives and find a lot of neat things. Right, and that's one of the things that we're always encouraging our listeners is to share the 
podcast, share the thought of uh, listening to everything fast pitch and coach prep with your friends. Um, obviously, it's great for us to see the numbers growing. They continue to grow on a steady basis, and it's always fun to see a spike someplace. So Marshfield, Wisconsin, thank you very much. You are the city of the week. Our player of the week, Don, keeping with the Wisconsin flavor, is Jayla Jones, and Jayla is from Stoughton, Wisconsin. She was uh, nominated more so because of the total player that she is, the total contribution that she makes on the team. Uh, she was uh, one of those players that was asked to learn a new position, was asked to uh, fill in some gaps that the team had, and embraced it with 100% enthusiasm. Gotta love you know, it. And, and just uh, is that kid that's doing all those things uh, that, uh, that coaches would love to have out of players. And I think that that's one of the things that we want to always recognize. I'm sure Jayla's had plenty of successes on the field in those big days where she's gone three for three or you know hit a big home run or whatever it is. But that's just a small part of what we're trying to recognize. We want to make sure that we're also looking for those players that are doing what it takes to make a team successful. And obviously, uh, Jayla is one of those players. And we want to say congratulations to Jayla Jones. You are the Fast Pitch Prep Player of the Week. So our equipment tip of the week, Don, let's talk about our Square Cuts training desk. Well, Tori, again this week, I mean, we've had uh, a number of people come in and pick up discs because uh, they're just that good. And when you're hitting with them, they give you feedback immediately. You know, I talk about not damaging all these expensive bats, but again, that's one of those little side notes. But we get feedback every swing we take. If you hit on top, it's going to spike down. If we hit underneath it, it's going to jump up to whatever net you're, you're hitting in. If you hit it square, it's going to sail square. It's just a fun, different product. I don't think that there's anyone out there that won't be able to utilize them. Um, if you don't have them, you got to get them. Yeah, it's a, it's a great tool for the individual player training at home. It's a great tool for a team to have. For variety. It's a supply mm -hmm. of equipment for practices. They are very affordable, $49.95 a dozen. And I have to, full disclosure, I finally broke one. There you go. But they've been getting hit, and, and the one that broke was one of the original prototypes that I've had in the bucket. So it's you know, several years old. It's probably been hit 100,000 times. A number, for yeah, sure. I mean, a, yeah. a ridiculous amount of times. And so that was the first casualty. Otherwise, they hold up really well. You know, Don, you mentioned that they don't tear up the bats. They're a little bit uh, less noisy when you're hitting them, and the feedback that you get is great. And one of the things that we learned, uh, because our customers and our listeners are way smarter than us, is it's a very versatile tool that you can use for a lot of other things besides just hitting drills. So check them out. Square Cuts Training Discs, again, $49.95 a dozen. Go to the fastpitchprep.com website, go on the front page, click on the link, get them ordered, and we will get them shipped to you right away. So, Don, did you know, a little walk down memory lane, Kat Osterman, who is now officially retired, okay, um, during her college career, and I, I saw this on, on Facebook, so I have to admit that I stole this uh, nugget, uh, but it was one that I wanted to share because it was just so impressive to me. In her very storied and very impressive NCAA Division I career, she had over 1,000 strikeouts, over 100 wins, and an ERA of under one. That's pretty impressive. Which is something that uh, I don't think very many, if any, other pitchers have done. I would love to you know, take some time and do a little bit of research and see who else fits into that category. But when you think about that, winning 25 or more games a year is yeah, pretty strong. Over 100, Keeping yep. that ERA under one and having over 1,000 strikeouts. Now, my gut reaction is that if we do a little bit of research, we're going to find out that Monica Abbott's probably in that, in that same neighborhood. Yep, yep. And I'm sure that there might be a few others from some of the, Finch, uh, some of of the earlier you know, years that we've talked about, some of the great early pitchers, you know, Lisa Fernandez and some of those. But I just thought it was interesting to see that Kat Osterman had amassed some statistics that are pretty impressive. And it's one of those things, if you're a sports fan and you watch ESPN, you know, on ESPN they're always talking about you know, an NBA player getting a triple-double and different statistics and things like that. And so this, I guess we could say, is our triple-triple, at least, for, for Division One softball. But so did you know, during Cat Osterman's college career, a th over 1,000 Ks, over 100 wins, and an ERA of, of under one. Fabulous. So that's a, just a pretty amazing thing. And uh, um, I promise I'll do a little bit of research here, and we'll, we'll see who else we can add to that club uh, in the coming weeks. Cool. So, Don, our listener question comes to us from Ed. And Ed's email was rather lengthy, so I'm just going to try to uh, hit the high points. But he's trying to figure out ways to fill the gaps in his daughter's training. He admits that he's not a very, just not financially in a position where he can afford to 
do weekly lessons a and, and a lot of outside training. He says he tries to get her in for lessons when he can. He tries to you know get, you know sign her up for camps and clinics when he can. But for her, in comparison to many of her teammates, he says he feels like he's letting her down because he can't afford to send her and and put her in all the same programs that most of her teammates are in. And so obviously for you and I, we're in the lesson business, so we you know love the fact that we have some people that are in a position where they can come every week and they yeah. do the the very you know regimented routine lessons. But I think Ed's situation is probably one that's true for a lot More of our common. listeners. Yeah. And especially, you know, as as things ebb and flow, you know, as, as things change from different times where the economy is either really good or really not so good, that a lot of people are in that boat. So here's the first thing I would say for Ed and for all of our listeners, that being able to use professional instruction and to be able to send your kids to camps and clinics is a tremendous thing if you can do it. Sure. There is a ton of benefit. There's a ton of ways that that can really help your player develop, but it's not the end-all, be-all. And I think one of the things that's happened is that for a lot of people that they are counting on that professional instructor, they're counting on those camps and clinics to do a lot of the stuff that they could be doing some of themselves. And so I think what I would recommend for Ed is that uh, when he does have the opportunity for his daughter to go for a lesson, when he does have the opportunity for her to go to a camp, do everything he can to take away as much knowledge and information as he possibly can so that he can help out at home. Be present, be there. Say if you only get to do one lesson a month, that the three other weeks of the month, but, you know, that you're not going for a professional lesson, that you're... Maybe replicate? Yeah, and, and, and saying the same things and talking about the same things and maybe doing some of the same drills, those kinds of things to kind of fill the gap. Because the one thing that I think is kind of sad to me is I see people that will bring their kids into our facility to have somebody play catch with their kid, basically, to teach them how to, like, throw and catch. And to me, that's, like, the most fundamental thing that every parent should be doing with their even kid. If, even if they're learning it, too. Right. And, yeah. and, and even if, uh, you know, you both throw it away a lot, even mm. if, if neither one of you catch it a lot at the beginning, the bonding experience of that and the opportunity to do some of that stuff at home on your own is a beautiful thing, and I just think that we're missing out on that a little bit. And so you know, I would start to encourage a lot of our listeners, you know, it's great if you're coming to a lesson. It's great if you're working with you know, Coach Don or me or somebody like that. But don't be afraid to go out in the driveway with the bonnet and, and set up a tee and, and, and take some hacks. Don't be afraid to jump in there with your kid and take a couple of swings yourself and see what it feels like and kind of have a little bit more of a shared experience with it. No, I think that's uh, so true, Tori. And that just makes me smile thinking about spending time with the kids at home, right? Right. And uh, another thought that I had as you were asking the question or as we were talking about it um, is athleticism can come with other skills and drills and things too. You know, agility ladders, jumping rope, you know, just general conditioning are things that can enhance their skills for sure. And obviously it sounds like they're willing to spend the time to do things. You know, YouTube, sit down and watch the YouTube program or two and um, pick a few things that you really like that you'd able you'd be able to facilitate at home and right. and get busy with those things too. But uh, you know, to me, I don't think that we. I think it would be hard to overdo the conditioning piece, whether it's just as simple as jogging or speed and agility ladders or, um, the, like I said, the jumping rope. I think that's solid goal too. Yeah, when I think uh, the YouTube channel was one of the recommendations that I made to Ed, I sent him an email back and recommended that he go to the fastpitchprep.com website and check out our YouTube channel because um, there's hundreds of drills and you know, hundreds of hitting drills, bunting. And we didn't know um, what position we didn't talk about. No, what, yeah. um, but I think when we talk about uh, lessons, you know, 99% of the people are, are pitching, pitching or hitting. hitting. Yeah. But that there's lots of information available on our YouTube channel, and it's just one resource. You know, YouTube is a beautiful thing. There's thousands and thousands of drills, and depending upon what you're looking for, you know, a little bit of, searching and a little bit of digging around, you're going to find some stuff that you can use and, and incorporate. And I think a lot of them are explained so well. You know, I think the drills that we're you know using and, and showing on our YouTube channel without tooting our horn too much, I think we've done enough to explain Pretty how well it should rounded. really be done, yeah. explain what we're trying to do with it and trying to you know really make it as user-friendly as possible so that somebody else can look at it and use it on their own. And to me, I think that's a key thing. So Ed, I appreciate you trying to figure out a way to help your daughter. The other thing I would say is one of the things that we have to do a better job of, I think, across our sport is less time comparing what we can and cannot do with what other people are 
doing. You know, this whole keeping up with the Joneses thing, I think, contributes to some of the other things we're going to talk about today, where, um, you know, there's some issues within the game of softball that are, are very much tied to, well, if somebody, if player A is doing this, then I've got to do the same thing. If player A is doing this extra thing, then I've got to do the same thing. And, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to do all those things if you can, but there's lots of ways to get to the same finish line without necessarily everybody having to feel like you've got to all be on the exact same path. No, I think that's so true, Tori. And, uh, you know, as we're, as we're talking about it, I can think back to the players that I thought were really great that I had a chance to be around. And they would always tell just one unique story. It wouldn't be the same story as anyone else's. It would be their story, just like you're saying. Once you're doing something, whether it's uh, going home and hitting off the tee, it's like every day after school, I went home and hit off the tee. I hit 50 balls. I hit, you know, 10 outside, 10 inside, 10 high, 10 show button hit away, 10 change ups and 10 regular. But I just did it every day. I was just going to mention that uh, consistency. I think once we kind of pick our path or pick our routine, stick to it the best we can and try and just vary from it occasionally. Yeah. So we, we can add to it if things are going really well and Maybe we talked about making a journal, right? It's like, hey, everything's you know feeling really good, and we're we've got it in our journal what we've done leading up to that point, and then if things go awry, then uh, we can look back in our journal and say, hey, well, I was hitting more, you know, more off the tee, or we were doing more front toss, or we were doing more of something when things were really good, and it doesn't appear that I'm doing that now, right? So we can kind of uh, you know gauge things that way too. Yeah, and so Ed, you know, I, I feel your pain because uh, I think as parents we all want to feel like we're doing absolutely everything that we can. But I think there's a silver lining in this. I think that uh, with the attitude that you're taking and the way that you're thinking about this, you could end up with a lot better experience for your daughter and for you than if you were just throwing money at it. Right. And and obviously, if you can still supplement that periodically with um, the occasional outside help. Right. I think that's that's a great tool. And I think it just makes it fun for your daughter, too. But uh, like we said at the beginning, if it works out that you got to you know, save up a little bit to do one lesson a month or one camp a year. You know, that makes those things even that much more special for your daughter. And my guess is, versus some of her teammates that are going to two or three lessons a week, because they're probably going to a strength coach, they're probably going to a hitting lesson, they're probably going to a pitching lesson, they're probably going to a defensive lesson, they're probably doing you know, a whole bunch of stuff. For those kids, they probably become a little bit jaded and numb to it because it's something that's so routine to them. That for your daughter, she might be getting a whole lot more out of that occasional lesson just because it's something super special or that one camp a year might be something that she's so invested in that it's really paying off. And so um, I think like, like uh, many of the things we talk about, um, there's more than one right answer. And I think you're on a really good path. So, Ed, we do appreciate it. If you have questions, please make sure you do reach out to us at everythingfastpitch at gmail.com or fastpitchprep at gmail.com. We want to talk about stuff that you're interested in. Um, and obviously, that's also where we want you to go to nominate the player of the week. Um, I didn't mention that we've uh, uh, had a successful run since I whined and complained a little bit a couple of weeks ago. We're, we're getting more nominations. We got to do it some more, Tori. Yeah, but we got to keep that ball rolling. So uh, fastpitchprep at gmail.com or everythingfastpitch at gmail.com for listener questions and also for player of the week nominations. And Ed, your Everything Fast Pitch t-shirts in the mail. So Don, that's going to bring us to this week's edition of Pages Power Play. Hey there, it's Paige, and I am excited to share with you how to get out of your head after making a mistake. We were doing some weekly mindset lessons last week, and I always ask the girls what they want to learn in future lessons, and this was something that popped up a lot. So here we are talking about it this week. And as an athlete, you don't want to make mistakes, right? I mean, shoot, you practice, practice, practice so you can show up your very best and perform on game day, but the fear of making mistakes always likes to creep into our brain and get in the way and then boom, mistake happens. It's totally normal to be frustrated after making a mistake. It's totally normal to be in your head after making a mistake. It's totally normal to overthink after making a mistake. This just means you care, that you're passionate about the way that you show up, but these things aren't gonna make you better moving forward, right? So. You have to understand that failure is a good thing. Wrap your arms around that mistake and make friends because guess what? More mistakes are coming your way. It's part of being an athlete. So here's how to get out of your head after making a mistake. You have to learn from it and move forward. 
So we are going to be talking about how to do that step-by-step in weekly mindset lessons this week. So go ahead and grab the schedule, schedule your lesson this week, uh, my website, pagetowns.com backslash lessons. And I can't wait to see you there and work through how to get out of your head after making a mistake. Have an amazing week and I'll talk to you soon. Don Page has got a bunch of good stuff going on. I hope our listeners are taking advantage of it. She's a lot of fun. And again, that's one more way that we can, uh, you know, do something a little bit over and above what others are doing. And I think it'll be beneficial. Absolutely. It's definitely going to make a difference in players' uh, enjoyment of the game and their ability to perform at a high level. So, Don, our leadoff topic is sponsored by Elite Sporting Goods. Elite's located at 905 Grayson Highway in Lawrenceville, Georgia. Phone number there is 678-377-0270. You can also contact them at EliteSportOrders at Yahoo.com. Anything you need, bats, balls, gloves, equipment, the whole nine yards, they can hook you up, and they're happy to ship anywhere in America. So, Don, had a last-minute adjustment to the schedule today. I want us to talk about coaches who yell. So full disclosure, full disclaimer, uh, for the vast majority of my career, I was a screamer and a yeller. I grew up in a world in a time when all the coaches I played for were screamers and yellers. Right. Um, many of them had a military background, and back then in the military, it was a screaming and yelling. I think all our parents in, had in, that in, background. Intimidating right? uh, yeah. world. During my playing career coming up, I was called every name you can imagine. I was insulted. I was But that was motivation at, then. And, and, and we were used to it. We yeah. took it. And we didn't complain about it at home because if we went home and complained to our parents, our parents would scream and yell at us for complaining about the person who was screaming and yelling at us at practice. Right. Here's the question I want us to, to raise and talk about a little bit. So the old, uh, I wish I knew then what I know now thing that we talk about over and over and over again. I think I spent an awful lot of time and, and regretfully spent an awful lot of time in my life coaching the way I was coached and thinking that, you know, kind of confusing some of the things about softball, about the game of fast pitch, and some of the other sports, some of the other coaching styles. So one of the things that I think has happened is that screamers and yellers are usually trying to use that as a arousal technique, a, a way to, you know, to get tool. you pumped up, to get you fired up, to, to, you know, to get your blood boiling a little bit. And unfortunately, I think where there's some sports that your blood boiling might be a real strength, I'm not so sure fast pitch softball is one of those. No, I think we need a little calmer little calmer environment to uh to do some of the skills that we that we need in our game but uh you know I think that we replicate what we experienced as kids too um in our defense so that doesn't mean it's right for sure and you know me personally I think I I saved the yelling for you know that that critical moment when somebody's about to get hit or hurt or something but uh definitely grew up with it yeah that, that's just part of part of the game to me as well I know uh a lot of uh, personalities react different too, and the kids are different now. Right. I think we're in we're in different times, so we've got to uh, grow with that and and see if we can save our yelling for certain instances. Right. Maybe, yeah. Well, and I think one of the the challenges that uh, we're always trying to address with the podcast is helping the coaches and and players and and parents that are listening to us not make some of the same mistakes that we made. You know, kind of become more complete, more well-rounded, kind of have a perspective on things that's a little bit uh, uh, more complete maybe than it might be. And a lot of the people that are listening to us are that next generation younger than us. So they're... I was going to say, we're uh, almost two generations out now. Yeah, huh? so, so we're uh, you know, <laughs> talking to parents and coaches that are, are definitely uh, from a different time than we were. You know, somewhere along the spectrum, I think, is the right amount of all things for all coaches. And I think even for the most moderate, uh, even-keeled, calm coach on, on the planet, that every once in a while there is some benefit in raising your voice and, and you know, being a little bit louder and being a little bit more aggressive. But I think that where it's different now is it, it needs to be you know, something that is strategically thought of, it's strategically used. It can't be the, right. it can't be the default. I can't, uh, you know, every time we make a mistake, I can't go back to just screaming and yelling at the person who made a mistake. Because the moral to the story is, no player ever comes to the ballpark thinking, wow, I really hope I can make six errors today. Right. I really hope I can swing really terribly and miss the ball by 15 feet. I really hope I can drop that pop-up when the bases are loaded in the seventh inning and, and it costs us the game. I mean, no, none of these kids are, are starting their day off thinking that that's what they're trying to accomplish. Let's see how loud I can make Coach yell at me, right? 
No, I think maybe for me too, Tori, is uh, I took it pretty personal. If somebody, you know, yelled at me or is that discontent with my performance in any way as an athlete that, uh, you know, I took it personal. So maybe that's why I don't yell quite as much, but it can be, it can be a little impactful or traumatizing for a kid, right? Right. And so the, the first thing I want us to think about is for parents and coaches both is when a player makes a mistake before we you know, decide to fly off the handle, let's kind of take a look at what the situation is that what's contributing, what might've been you know, part of the responsibility. And a perfect example, team that I work with uh, played a little scrimmage a couple weeks ago at the beginning. We didn't really have enough time to warm up. You know, something had gotten messed up with the schedule. A couple of kids had gotten stuck in traffic. It was just one of those, you know, nothing about the way things worked as we were getting ready to, to play went like business as usual. It just like everything was totally out of whack. Had kids that you know were out there playing defense that didn't even like get a single ground ball hit to them in warm-up. And all of a sudden, you know, the ball's getting scorched at them in the scrimmage. <laughs> and they're not making all the plays. Right. And, you know, and of course, because we're not making plays, you know, everybody gets frustrated. Everybody gets angry. Parents start yelling. Coaches start yelling. Everybody starts, you know, getting all like, you know, beside themselves. And in my mind, I kept thinking, well, I wish we were playing better. But what did we do? What, what could I expect? How can yeah. I expect a, you know, 13 year old shortstop to be ready for the ball to get scorched at her five hitters in a row when she hasn't seen a ground ball today? before that first ball got scorched at her. Right. How can I expect my hitter who you know, was stuck in traffic and didn't take one swing prior to you know, jumping in the dugout when the game was started and was you know, taking some warm-up swings on the side, dry swings on her own, was the only quote-unquote batting practice she had that day was totally you know, unrelated to what she was going to have to do walking up to the plate and not getting a hit. And being mad or frustrated or wanting to yell about that stuff just seemed kind of foolish. So, so from that coaching and parent perspective, if your daughter's making an error, before you get mad and, and yell at her to get her head out of her whatever or get frustrated or get, you know, want to yell something, think about, well, okay, but did we do a good enough job? What, is preparing she really prepared yeah. to be able to do this? Second part of it is before we make up our mind to, you know, to be mad or to yell about something, whether it's from a coaching or a parent perspective, is did we really work on these things enough in practice to expect to be able to do them well? So first scenario is we didn't warm up well enough, so the kids weren't ready to play in the, in the short term. Long term, have we done relays enough that we should really expect the relay to be successful? Have we done rundowns enough that we should expect not to screw up a rundown? Have we done <laughs> first and third plays enough to expect to be able to do them. And, and to me, I think that's another area that we have to start to be a little bit more aware as coaches and as parents, because let's just be honest, if we haven't worked on some of those more advanced skills, more advanced techniques a lot, the idea of thinking we're going to be really good at them is fool's far, gold. Far-fetched. You know, and you've talked about this uh, on the podcast a number of times too, Tori, about uh, just talking about things and, and doing and getting the rep with those skills or with those concepts. And, uh, you know, if we're thinking back saying, yeah, but we, we talked about this just before the game, or we talked about this before this tournament. The fact of it is, if we haven't done the rep, not just talked about it, it doesn't warrant a, a yelling opportunity, does right. it? Yeah. Well, no, and, and but I think that's one of the things for us, especially as coaches, that we have to think through. So let's say we're playing in a game and our team screws up a rundown, and we've actually not practiced it at all or, or very, yeah. very little practiced at all. And then, you know, we come up with the, well, we know it's, you know, push her back one throw, tag her out. Well, okay. We can have all the catchphrases in the world, but the catchphrase is obviously Sounds not cool. going to, right. It's not going to solve the problem if we haven't practiced it enough. But it makes you as a coach look like, you know what you're talking about. Right. right? And so, yeah. so, and we're going to come back to that. <clears throat> Even though our that, kids didn't yeah, do keep, it. Keep that thought down for yeah. a second. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, so as that we're covers about, me. Yeah, so yeah, as we're thinking about that, and so then you know, have we worked on those things enough? Are are the things that we're practicing on a regular basis really solving these problems, or are we just doing the same things over and over again at practice, and not adjusting as we need to? So again, you know, rundowns is a perfect example. If all we do to practice rundowns is a couple of dart throws, but we don't put kids on base, and actually execute rundowns over and over and over again. 
for whatever reason. You know, we just don't like it. We don't want to. You know, the kids get mad if they have to run too much. You know, I'm afraid somebody might sprain an ankle or something running, you know, running in these drills at practice. You know, whatever the excuse is, the reason is that we're not doing it. And feel too rough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Whatever those explanations are for why we're not doing it, then we have to also be realistic about, well, is it okay for me to yell at a kid who can't do these things because my practice doesn't set them up to get better at it? Sure. Right? So there's a lot of things that we want to be thinking about. So are, are we doing the things that we need to? And so I think you touched on the point that I really wanted us to get to with this is, are we yelling because we think it's going to solve the problem? Are we yelling because we think we're going to get the kids amped up and, and fired up and that that's going to make them play better? Or are we yelling so that everybody knows that it's not my fault that we just screwed that up? Because I know what we're supposed to be doing. Right. Yeah. And that's what I think is a key thing I wanted us to, to get into a little bit because I think a lot of my yelling was because I was so insecure as a coach when I was a younger coach that I couldn't bear the thought of somebody thinking it was really my fault that we were bad at something. Yeah, well, maybe so. Huh? You know, it's like a... you know the, the the if I had a dollar for every time as a young coach I yelled, "We just worked on that." Right? How can you <laughs> screw that up? We just worked on that. We work on that every single day. How can you screw that up? It wasn't because I thought that was going to solve the problem. It was because I said it loud enough that everybody who wanted to hear it could hear, hey, it's it, not my fault. It wasn't me. Yeah, yeah, it's not my fault. And now, coaches, I'm going to cut you a little bit of slack because sometimes sure. it really isn't your fault because sometimes you really do work on it we did cover a lot. it, sure. And yeah. sometimes you really have invested enough time in it and we still mess it up. But if we've done all the things that we're supposed to do as a coach, then what are we really gaining by yelling at our kids for screwing up anyhow? Because again, come back to the moral to the story. They're not screwing up on purpose. I mean, nobody right. makes a mistake because that, you know. That was the goal of the day. Yeah, I mean, I I, I haven't seen a softball player yet who I think, think is going to the ballpark with with an agenda of, I bet you I could cost us a game today. If I drop yeah. that last yeah. ball. I, yeah. I, I'm so mad at this team. I'm so mad at my coach. I want to, you know, I want to get even. I'm going to make sure we lose today. I just don't think that that <laughs> is happening. The old bad news bears thing. Yeah, well, that yeah. might be the, you know, the <laughs> extreme example. But so, coaches, that's the thing we want to talk about. And, and again, this is definitely, you know, don't throw stones when you live in a glass house kind of thing because I was a screamer and a yeller. I still will catch myself periodically getting angry about something at the ballpark. Now, I think I'm much better than I used to be, but I think it's something that I still need to be more aware of. And I think for all of our coaches and parents too, because parents are in this same boat, you know, the parents who yell at the their kid for making a mistake because they want to make sure that, you know, we don't blame you as a parent for being a bad parent somehow too, right? If your kid dropped a fly ball, it must mean that you're a bad parent. Or if your kid struck out with the bases loaded and a chance to win the game, it must mean that you're a bad parent. So so all this yelling. If is we remove that yelling, it wouldn't change things. Right. right? And, and the, the outcome's not going to be, uh, yeah. the result of that exact play, the thing that we want to yell at isn't going to change anyhow, because yelling at it doesn't undo it. You know, yelling at it doesn't, or, or make, make the it, next one make better. It, right. Yeah. It, it's much more likely to make the next one worse, right? Right. So the whole yelling thing, the whole idea of yelling a lot is something that I think we want to address and we want to you know, do some real soul search. Now, again, as we said earlier, if you want to use it as an arousal technique once in a while, you want to get your kids fired up once in a while, I yep. mean, that, that's for each coach to decide. Now, I don't think this is a game that we play great, like, you know, foaming at the mouth crazy running around like lunatic kind of thing. Cause I think there's too much fine motor skill and too much focus and, and concentration that has to happen, but a little bit of pump me up a to little wake bit them of, up or you know, depending uh, on the setting, get yeah. my attention is, is okay once in a while. Yeah. But I think if we want it and we want it to really be effective, it's gotta be strategic. It's gotta have a purpose and it cannot be an all the constructive, time thing. not destructive. Yeah. Right. Yep. And one of the things we've talked about is that I know some of those players that played for me when I was a younger coach, that there are some that responded to it really well and, and, and loved me as a coach because they thought it pushed them to excel. And there are others that hated it. I Different mean, and, personalities. And despised it. Yep. And so that's always going to be true. But I think we're in a time and age now where it's just so much less acceptable to be a screamer and yeller that if we want it to really be effective, it's got to be a very strategic thing that we're using on a very rare basis. And if we're if finding ourselves yelling at every single game, yelling at players all the time, we're missing the boat. And I think it's going to come back to 
Um, we need to do some real soul searching about what we're doing as practices, what we're doing in training, the drills that we're creating, and the message that we're sending to our players. I think that's a good topic, Tori. We're going to change the game a little bit maybe today. That's right. nice. Well, and, and the other thing is, where else in the world anymore is it okay for the boss to yell at the employees? Ooh. You know what I mean? It, it just doesn't, doesn't happen way, anymore. Yeah. The occasional situation where that's still acceptable, you know, may, maybe you work for your dad and your dad's just not going to change kind of thing. Right. But even your dad probably can have to get called to the HR department at, at some <laughs> businesses if it's if it's uh, being handled badly. So, uh, so coaches, just think it through. Make sure uh, your Mom, mom's going to get you when we get home. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. When I tell mom what you said <laughs> right. to me at work today, yeah. But so I think it's just important that we 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 keep growing and rolling with the punches and and understanding what. Uh, might have worked once upon a time, might not keep working as, as well in the future. So that's going to take us down to our cleanup topic. Cleanup topic is sponsored by Pinnacle Power Butter. Everything Fast Pitch is very proud to be sponsored by Pinnacle Power Butter. It's a nutritious snack that every athlete should have in their bag of tricks. It will allow you to get a great snack, something that's healthy and nutritious, all natural, and goes a long way towards making a ball player a better one. And Tori, our listeners can get their... Pinnacle Power Butter at PinnaclePowerButter.com, and they can place their order there. Again, that's PinnaclePowerButter.com. If they use their promo code of EFP10, they can also get a 10% discount, and we're really excited that they're on board with us. Products are great. We've used them and tried them at home. The whole family loves it. All right, Don. So too many travel teams. What do you think? There's no question, Tori, that there's many, many options, and there's many orgs. There's more kids playing, so that kind of helps inspire a lot of the, the roster opportunities. But I think today we're going to talk about how that created a little bit of a void for key components, right? right. So good news. A lot more kids are playing yeah. fast-pitch softball than, yeah. than did once upon a time. The fact that there's so many more kids necessitates that we need more teams. The first thing I wanted to touch on is, yes, we need more teams to allow more kids to play, but do we need more teams all aspiring to say that they are high-level, highly competitive, really strong teams to allow all those kids to play? My point isn't, Don, we're going to get into this, is there's not enough high-level pitching to staff the teams that are all claiming to be high-level teams. Right. If you go on any of the Facebook groups that we post in and, and you scroll for you know more than like three seconds, you're going to come up with at least eight different teams from eight different age groups, all have the ba basic same post, looking for one more pitcher to round out our amazing team, looking for two pitchers to fill out our great roster. We've got great hitters. We've got great defense, but we just need pitching. Not enough mound time on the team that you're on. Come join us because we really need you. And, yeah. and if we're going to have all these teams at some point in time, we got to have enough pitchers and enough kids that really want to pitch to staff them. And you know, the reality of it is, is that even when there were less teams, there would never seem to be enough really good pitchers to go around. Right. Well, once upon a time, there were six or eight teams, in, you know, let's say in 18 and under, six or eight teams in the Atlanta area, which is a gigantic city with thousands and thousands of softball players. We had six or eight teams that said they were high-level, super competitive teams. And they really were. Yeah. And that was probably it. Yeah. Well, now in that same quote-unquote age group with that same demographic, that same market, we've got 75 teams that all say eight, that they're aspiring eight, to be... Eight organizations. Yeah, they're all aspiring to be the best 18 and under team in Atlanta, the best 18 and under team in Georgia. Well, if we've got 75 teams all trying to get pitchers, obviously we're going to have problems. The reality of it is more players playing is great. Having more teams is a necessity, but I think the first thing we need to talk about is I think the people that are putting the teams together need to be realistic or honest with themselves about how high up the food chain do we really have to be aiming to match up with what the vast majority of our our players really need the capabilities right yeah. now i think what the problem is is that a lot of these teams are not born out of just the uh, altruistic idea of having a place for the kids to play but they're born of the so 
My daughter's not good enough to be the shortstop on this team, so I'm going to put together Start a team, one. and she's going to be the shortstop, and we're going to be better than you. Ha ha, we'll show you. Mm-hmm. Which then means that same dad slash coach now has to go out and get pretty good pitching because he's got to prove to that other coach that that they were a wrong about my daughter being good enough to be the starting shortstop, and b that you know I'm gonna you know put together a team with my daughter as the starting shortstop that's better than your team. And those kids don't just materialize; they're coming from other groups, thinning out other teams, right? Right. And so we end up you know with this. Uh, cascading effect of teams that are, that are supposedly at the top of the pyramid pilfering players from teams that are the next level down and those teams have to pilfer players from the next level down and before you know it the whole thing just keeps getting more and more watered down but so the the talent is is pool is big but it's not big enough to supply an unlimited number of teams the other thing too that i think that is uh part of the problem is we've got more and more now organizational stuff going on where, so many more coming right, and to where, each area. Where, where coaches think that they're going to get more players by being part of these big-name organizations, and then that adds another level of pressure to the coaches and the teams because if we're going to say we're part of big-time travel organization A, that we've got to have a certain level of player and a certain level of success, or otherwise we're not going to be able to be part of that group or be part of that organization. And in a lot of cases, we're spending a lot of money to be part of these organizations, and they're going to hold us to a standard, which, again, I think adds more problems. The other thing I want us to think about is when we think about most teams, most of them have a core group, a, you know, a couple of kids that are probably really highly talented, highly skilled players. And, again, some of that's because of the, if I don't get to be the shortstop on one team, I'm going to go be the shortstop on another team. But then that forces a lot of these teams that are aspiring to play at a pretty high level to keep going further and further down the ranks to try to find the players to round out the team. And I think that that's part of what's leading to this dilemma. And then, you know, looking for more and more opportunities for kids to pitch to try to fill the void so they have enough pitching to be competitive. I was going to say that's kind of a good thing because there's a lot of uh, opportunity for kids to become pitchers maybe, right? For, uh, in particular, the young ones. Right. They can, uh, again, aspire and grow into, uh, you know, a lot of, I guess, real spots to play. And that's where they get better competing and playing. But right. in the meantime, we are definitely, uh, I guess, thin in the pitching right. realm. Well, and now here, here's what I think would go a long way, is if we could understand that the dynamic of how a team can be put together should change. And that more players who are really aspiring to play at the highest level need to accept that there's some challenges that go along with playing at the highest level. Why do most kids want to play on the highest level travel ball team they can? Because they want to go to the highest level college program that they can. Sure. They play on a high level travel team because they want to get recruited. They play high level travel ball or travel ball in general because they think it's going to open the doors for them to play in college. Well, all of us need to accept then that the end that we're chasing after, the goal that we're shooting for, requires us to learn how to compete. And if more people, parents, players, coaches, could understand that competition is on the horizon, it's going to be there for these kids when they go to college, let's start accepting that that and allowing that to happen Mm -hmm. more as we progress through the system. And now we've talked about this, you know, dozens of times, that unfortunately what has happened is For most parents, they look at what they're spending on travel ball, and the only way that it feels like a good investment is if their kid gets to play all the time. And what I think we have to start to understand, especially for kids that are aspiring to play in college and kids that want to play high-level college softball, is that the investment shouldn't be in how much do I get to play, but how much do I really get to prepare and be prepared for that challenge of reaching that goal. And you know, one of the things that I've seen, you know, dozens and dozens of times, that there are certain parts of the country where competition is built into the travel ball world more than others. So that there are some, you know, places where kids are in travel ball organizations knowing that they're paying all this money and it doesn't guarantee them anything except a uniform and a chance to play. It doesn't guarantee them a starting position. It doesn't guarantee them playing time. It doesn't guarantee them anything. And if we could kind of take a little bit of that magic pixie dust and spread it over more teams, more people, 
I think we could solve some of this problem. Because then what would end up happening is, in the, and we'll just use the Atlanta area for an example, we would end up with 10 or 12 really good teams who really are aspiring to play at the very highest level, who are really playing to be the very best 18 and under team in the area and in the state and, and ultimately in the nation. And then we could have another group of teams that know they're not quite there, and that's okay because we're still playing. We're still getting a lot of you know, enjoyment out of it. We're still, you know, for some of those kids aspiring to play, but maybe not uh, quite at the same level of college program, and there's nothing wrong with that. And then we start to, I guess, stratify the situation a little bit, start to put people in, in groups like that, that kind of make sense. Like, yeah, yep. tiers is a perfect way to say it, Don, because if we had 12 teams aspiring to be great, we've got 24 great pitchers in Atlanta. Well, and just like you're saying right there is if we describe what one of those championship teams or somebody that, that shows really well at nationals, if we describe those teams and we want 10 of them, they've got to have two number ones right. pitching for them or maybe more. Right. Two or three. Two to three. But, but, but so that's my point. So if we, we're it, taking those three. And right. if, if let, let's say in, in the Atlanta area right now, and, and this is just a number, I'm sure it's different, but let's say we have 24 great pitchers. In 18 and under. Yep. 24 pitchers that could, you know, can compete nationally in 18 and under. If we had 12 teams with two of those pitchers on each one. Rockstar. Or, or right. eight teams with three of those pitchers on each one, we would have eight great teams that really could play for a national championship. Right. And they would be outstanding. Kind of like not that long ago when we were talking Legit. about when I first started recruiting here, yep. when we had... You know, you only had to watch six teams because those six teams had already all, sorted out who but, all the best players yeah, were. Yeah. But what we've got instead is, instead of 12 teams with two great pitchers each, we've got 36 teams that are all saying they're in that same category, and we don't even have one pitcher for each team then. And that's, the to me, the problem. So if we would kind of swallow our pride a little bit, and instead of thinking, well, if I'm going to spend ten thousand dollars this year on softball, my daughter better play ninety-two percent of the innings. And say, well, I'm going to spend ten thousand dollars on softball this year because my daughter's going to compete. She's going to learn to fight. She's going to be on a really good team. She's going to have an opportunity to get seen by all the great coaches. But she's going to have to work her butt off to get into the lineup, and because of that, it's going to make her a better player. I just think this a lot of these problems could could disappear. Unfortunately. The realist in me knows that we're going the other direction. Well, the $10,000, you want to be on a team that has a chance to make it to the end. Right. Yeah, I would yeah. think. Yeah. And, and I know, you know, and again, that's just an arbitrary number. For some people, it's yeah. way more than that. Sure. For some people, it's way less than that. But sure. for everybody, it's the same thing. If I'm spending 100 bucks a month for my kid to be on the team, and that $100 is a really big deal to me, she's I expect getting, a really big payoff. She's only getting part-time. Right, yeah. I expect a payoff. And so I think that's one of the things that we need to adjust. So you know, trying to see the picture differently, that it's not about how much time do I get on the field as much as what are the things that I'm gaining from really being on this team. If we could start with that adjustment, I think we'd be going a long way. And, Tori, other than listening to the podcast, which all coaches should tell their parents to listen to it, right? Is that the coach's job to sell that concept or that uh, idea on a particular group, I guess? Well, I think it starts with coaches selling that agenda. You can let them listen to this for sure. Right. But But I think it's also parents just coming to grips with the fact that what we're doing right now is not working very well. It's not maybe the best path. Right. And, and, And the reality of it is, is I see more kids now than ever. Now, obviously, there's a lot more kids playing, but I see a lot more kids wanting to quit. I see a lot more kids that are unhappy. I see a lot more teams that are just not very good who have two or three really good players who are really unhappy because they're two or three really good players on a pretty average or bad team because for whatever reason, you know, they have to be the starting shortstop. So, you know, the only way I can be the starting shortstop is to be on this team. Whereas, if I was willing to compete to maybe be the shortstop, but maybe play right field or maybe be you know, a, a part-time base. player yeah, yeah. Um, and, and a utility player <laughs> on a great team, I have to be on the team that promises me I'm going to be the shortstop. And it's just this never-ending cycle of because I've got to get my money's worth, I'm not really getting my money's worth. I find, I find myself, too, as a parent, Tori, uh, 
guarding my kids from pain, the pains of life. You know, there's there's going to be challenges and pains in life when you don't get the things you want. Right. And often I feel like I'm setting them up for disappointment later by not letting them experience more of that now. And I'm I battle that inside too, so I get it. Oh no, but, I, I understand yeah. it 100. Yeah. percent And and I understand the the business aspect of it. I mean, yeah. you know, if I'm paying the same amount of money that you're paying for the exact same service, I expect to get the exact same service. But we've sure. turned softball into a service business and it's not really rather than a competitive business right it's 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 not supposed to be everybody pays the same fee everybody gets the same thing at least not if we want to solve this problem why is it a problem because watching softball with teams that have no pitching is a nightmare (laughs) and right now we have much fun we have whole tournaments going on where teams are yeah one pitcher who's pitching way too much because she's the only pitcher we have right and she doesn't burned get to, out and getting she doesn't get to show as well as she right. could. Right. So she's so she's you know like uh, held together with duct tape and she's and eighty percent and, and zip yeah. ties, um, you know. And then we've got all, other teams that are out there competing that have they have kids who want to be pitchers, the who, half pitcher, who, or yeah. or honestly have been told they can be the starting pitcher on this team because we're so desperate for a pitcher that we're going to take anybody who says that their arm will make a circle and can throw it towards home plate even though she can't throw strikes. If she does throw a strike, we don't have to worry about the catcher ever catching it because the ball's going to get hit into orbit someplace. And to me, it's just it's a situation that we, if, if we want to start to head in a better direction, I think we need to start to adjust the way we're thinking about this stuff. And so, Or we may, may not enjoy it quite as much as we know we could. And Stan raises a good point, Don. The flip side of this, I have to get my money's worth part of it, is that the rosters keep getting smaller and smaller. They run thin. Right. So you used to have a roster of 18 kids so that if somebody was sick or somebody wasn't there, it was no big deal. You still had or other just quality kids. weren't playing well that day for right. whatever reason. You know, yeah. now, now there is no competition because we have 12 kids on the team. Three of them are pitchers, so they're going to rotate through the roster even though they're not really pitchers or they're not good pitchers. They're just kids that can throw the ball towards home plate. And then... Some kid can show up and she knows she's going to be the shortstop because you know my dad started the team so I could be the shortstop or he promised my dad I'd be the shortstop whether they work hard whether they play well whether they they do any of the stuff that we you know, expect well, them to do. Well, when I hear too, I'm I'm kind of shocked, Tori, when I hear uh, and it seems more at the younger age group, but I'm really quite shocked when I hear the number of kids that are on a roster when they're saying you know we've got eleven and we're kind of open to maybe one more. And I, my mouth opens, and I'm like, how can you run a season on 11 kids? Even 12 is, I think, very thin. You're so vulnerable, and having to introduce pickup players all season long, and you know those people aren't going through the same sacrifices that your group is, and they just hop in there and they get plugged in for a weekend. It, it kind of seems odd and awkward to me, but from a coaching standpoint, they're just trying to you know, accommodate the desire or the, you know, the expectation of the parent for playing time. And I think that that bites us a little bit in the butt in the end, because, you know, we are wore out at the end of a tournament. If we are a good team, right? we are wore out at the end of a tournament and we end up losing because we're tired and because we're too thin in numbers. And, you know, I know we've talked about it a number of times in previous podcasts about some of the national championship teams that, uh, you know, we coached in college or the ones, the travel ball kids that you've worked with and you've gone off to nationals and, uh, you know, had to battle against teams that maybe had 18 kids right. in the dugout. And, you know, just through uh, injury and things like that, we ended up a little bit thinner than we would have liked to have been. And, and those groups end up, you know, sneaking past us. Right. Well, and that's a perfect example. When we were out in Colorado a couple of years ago, we ended up losing in the semifinals to a team from Arizona that had, I want to say, 20 kids on their roster, maybe maybe even more than that. Right. But what they were able to do, because we both played, I think we played 11 or 12 games over like a you know, four-day period, three-day period, so it was a lot of softball because we kept winning. Yeah. And so every time they were ahead by three or four runs, they could give a kid a couple innings off. You know, they could you know go to their third or fourth or fifth pitcher because they had a big enough lead that they could afford to rest their number one pitcher. They could, you know, get, let the kids have a break. They could pinch run for everybody at least once every game. 
And right. at the end of the tournament, when we were dragging, because even if we were beating somebody six six nothing, eight nothing, ten nothing, one of our best pitchers had to keep pitching because that was who we had to pitch. That was what was going to keep you right. in the, yeah, yeah. I mean, that. no, and we didn't have anybody else to put in. You know, it wasn't like we had a third string pitcher that was able to mop up the innings in a game that we were killing somebody because we didn't have that person on the roster. Right. So one of the two kids who we really needed to pitch well had to pitch the last two innings of a game we were winning 8 nothing because right. we didn't have any options. Well, those extra innings add up, and all of a sudden we're in that semifinal game, and their pitcher looks like she hasn't even barely broken a sweat all weekend, and our kid is out there and looks like her right arm is four inches longer than her left arm because she's thrown so much. Well, and, you know, if the end game is being recruited and, and so forth, that's when you want to look fresh. Right. That's where the coaches are going to be. They're coming to watch the kids that make it to the end. Right. And, and the last thing, and we'll wrap this up on this one. So, you know, so the competition that we want the kids to learn, the attitude that we want to adjust, the way we want to start to think differently about how we're investing our money in travel ball. If the goal is for your daughter to be a college softball player, there is not a single college softball program in the country that has 12 kids on it unless they've had some sort of crazy, crazy thing happen. Everybody's got 16, 18, 20, 22, some of the bigger schools, 30 kids on the roster fighting for this spot, fighting for a playing spot, fighting for a starting position. And that's the thing that we're really cheating our kids. And we're going to talk here um, about another thing that kind of goes along with this, about how there's opportunities that we could really be helping our kids be successful when they get to college that we're missing out on. And the number of kids who you know, aspire to play college softball that are unprepared for it because they don't know how to compete because they've always been promised a spot is a problem. And so this whole too many teams in the travel ball world is a problem. It's going to continue to get worse. It's not going to get better unless we change our approach to it, the way we change our attitude about it. And I'm hoping that this kind of discussion will start to get at least a few people thinking about what's really better for the end game. And the end game is I want my daughter to play at big school X. Well, if I want her to play at Big School X, is it going to happen because I negotiate her a starting position or she earns a starting position? Is it going to be better served because she knows how to work for what she wants or because somebody's going to guarantee her what she wants? And I know if she wants to be the starting shortstop at real competitive softball college program, it's not going to be because somebody is so happy to have her or promised her a starting position. It's going to be because she earned it there. So let's put them in a position where we have a few less teams a little bit more competition, a few less promises, a little bit more competition, and let's see where that takes us. And I think for the overall health of the game and for the enjoyment factor of everybody playing it, life's going to be a whole lot better. No, I think it's a good topic. We can come back to it another day too, Tori. And, uh, you know, the five balls you get in a game are important, and that's a, a good, intense time to be working on your skills. But the hundreds that you take in practice are going to be ones that enhance your skills to the point right. where you'll be the one getting those five in a game. Yeah, so. and, and if you're at a practice with other really good players working really hard, trying to get ahead and trying to prove that they deserve to play. It rubs off. Yeah, you're going yeah. to get a whole lot better a whole lot faster. So, yeah. Don, that's going to take us to our coaching tip of the week. This coaching tip of the week is one I was just thinking about today because there's a girl that I work with quoted uh, the great Deion Sanders. The quote goes something like, if you look good, you feel good. If you feel good, you play good. I like Dion, and when he said his name, I was like, yeah, Yeah. it's going to be all right. If you look good, you feel good. If you feel good, you play good. So what's the connection between looking good and playing good? Well, I think there's a little bit to it for sure. I always appreciate when when you look out at a ball game and and people look sharp. Their uniforms are clean, and they look like they're uniform. You know, everybody looks the same. We, We look sharp. Again, I think it, it's the beginning of something good, right? Yeah, when I think one of the things that's important is that we can look good and not necessarily have to have the world's greatest budget. We don't have to necessarily be spending thousands and thousands of dollars on swag. We don't have to have some sort of unlimited, endless pool of, uh, of supplies. We're thinking about a practice uniform that all the kids could wear black pants and we could give them all a practice T-shirt is the most simple, fundamental thing. If you've got 20 kids on your roster, you're going to spend 150 bucks on T-shirts or, or 200 bucks on T-shirts, max. 
Right. They all probably have a pair of black pants from some team that they've played on in the past, or you can let them wear last year's uniform pants as this year's practice pants. And just like that, we have a uniform look where when they show up at practice, we always know we we're can part look, of this team. Look sharp, yeah. yeah. To me, I think it's important for uniforms that uniforms look uniform. You know, when we go to the ballpark and we're going to play, that we look sharp, that we're dressed properly, that, you know, that the uniform's worn the correct way. You know, obviously at the college level, you know, we were always sticklers about the sleeves would be down because we were there to play softball, not worry about tan lines. You know, that the... What do you um, think about cleats? They should be uniform as well. The jerseys would be tucked in at the college level. You know, we were lucky enough that we had shoes that, you know, know, all all the kids matched. But again, it doesn't necessarily have to be that they all have Nike, but they all could have black. Yes. You know, and those kinds of things. But I think practice gear is another thing. And again, it doesn't have to be a super gigantic investment. T-shirts are not that expensive. You know, dry fit T-shirts are not that expensive. But um, when we're the same, it looks official. It right. feels official, like and, a real thing. And it's building that cohesiveness that we're talking about. You know, if you're in a situation like a college team or a, or a pretty strong travel team, if you're traveling together, you know, I always liked the idea of travel gear, one, because it made it easy to identify us. And that was something that was important to me. If I, if I was in the airport with, track with uh, tw- yeah. you know, 20-some college players, you know, I, I didn't want to you know, have to remember that, you know, Don had a tie-dye t-shirt on and Stan had a purple t-shirt on and trying to, you know, keep track of everybody. I wanted everybody wearing our school colors so that it was easier to identify and kind of gave everybody that uh, feeling of unity when we were traveling. But things like uh, bat bags, helmets, those kinds of things. I think over time, uh, the teams that are in a position where they can invest in that kind of stuff, that there is a benefit to it. I think that if we're Looking uniform, it makes us feel more uniform. If we all look like we're part of the same team, we start thinking like, hey, we're really all part of the same team. Like you said, when you see a group like that, it's like they got it together. They, yeah. you know, they, They're doing something on purpose. And when you see a group like that at the ballpark, you're like, hey, I'm going to check them out and see if they uh, play as well as they you know, prepare yeah. and look. Yeah. Well, and one example I couldn't help but thinking about, you know, we, we've talked about our good friends, the Oregon Ducks, a bunch in the past yeah. and, and supporting Coach Lombardi and, and, and her program. And that one of the things that helped Oregon athletics kind of get on the map was, you know, and obviously their affiliation with Nike puts them in a pretty good position. And we talk about sure. the unlimited budget thing that we were talking about before. I think they might have an unlimited budget they're, when it comes to... They're going to look yeah, good. ...to things like that. But, you know, they were pushing the envelope a little bit, coming up with some, you know, some stylish stuff, some flashy stuff, some things that maybe were a little bit outside the box that gave them an identity. And again, now that's one extreme end of the spectrum. But, you know, to me, I think there's you know, a lot to be said for that. You know, once upon a time uh, when I was coaching at UW Parkside, and when I was coaching at UW Parkside, we were as poor a softball team as you possibly could have. Our budget was so tiny. I probably spent 25 times more of my time on fundraising. You had to get creative. And yeah. and that kind of thing than I did on coaching. I mean, it was every chance we had to figure out a way to make a few bucks. You know, we were doing the the camps, the clinics, the academies. Um, you know, I was speaking, you know, we were doing all kinds of things, you know, out in the community, just everything we could to try to raise money. And so one year we were lucky enough we had a sponsorship with Easton to to provide us with bats. And they gave us some just plain white Easton t-shirts that just had the little Easton logo like over the heart. They were you know, just your basic white t-shirts. And so, and, and that was num- nice. Put a number on the back. Yeah. So, but what we ended up deciding to do is my wife being the creative person that she was, took a tie dye class and took you know, all these Nike white t-shirts, tie dyed them. They all looked awesome. Right. But they still looked uniform because, you know, the same person same, did them all. Yep. So the, the pattern wasn't exactly the same on everyone, but you could clearly tell that everyone was from that team. So you had the little, you know, Easton logo over the heart. You had this really cool uh, school color tie-dye thing because it was school colors. It wasn't like rainbow or something crazy. Right, it was, you know, right. something that matched the school colors. And then we put the player's name and numbers heat pressed on the back. Nice, yeah. And all of a sudden, we had a really cool-looking little shirt that didn't cost us hardly anything. You yeah. Know, so you know, and fortunately, we were lucky enough that somebody gave us the T-shirts. But if you buy a plain T-shirt, it's not that expensive anyhow. Right. Um, and so we, you know, we were able to do something like that and have a really 
unique, unique and special, and yeah, yeah and, and outstanding thing that that, and so it ended up being something that the kids then wanted to wear when we traveled. Well, we started off thinking it was going to be their practice shirt, kind of became their claim to fame, and so we would always be looking for things like that that we could do because we couldn't afford to go just you know go wild buying things. Sure, get um, it all. You know, yeah, and and you know I was aggressive enough, and we were lucky enough to be successful enough that you know, we were able to kind of negotiate some things along the way and, and you know, get a free set of T-shirts or a free set of hats or a free set of something from, from different people. And all that stuff helped to add to that feeling of unity. And so you know, building that team and, and having your team play well is something that we're all trying really hard to do. And I do think there is a connection between the whole, if you feel good, if you look good, you're probably going to play better. And I think it's worth investing in. And again, you don't have to break the bank, but I think you can do a lot of creative stuff that's going to really give you some of that unity that we're talking about. No, and Tori, I, I like that whole thought. And and there's nothing wrong with having an expectation on people looking sharp and not being wild and crazy. Shirts out, shirts in. Right. Sleeves yeah. up, sleeves down to, yeah. to look the same. Tucking your shirts in and wearing the sleeves down the way they're supposed to be worn is not doesn't an expectation take a that costs you a effort. penny. Yeah, it's yeah. not a special effort. It doesn't cost you a nickel. Yeah. And even if that's the only thing that we do, I think we're already on the on the right track. Because I know somebody's like, well, what difference does it make if she rolls her shirt sleeves up or not? If they're that worried about their tan lines, go to the beach. That's little, all I'm going to say. Little things, right? Yeah, yeah because yeah. it's just one more thing that says... I'm more worried about me than I'm worried about this team. Right. Period. And nobody's going to tell me any different. That'll be my soapbox moment of the day. We'll get it. Yeah, we'll get that. All right. So that's going to wrap up number 202. Please make sure you check out our sponsors, Anderson Bat, Patreon.com, Elite Sporting Goods, and Pinnacle Power Butter. Go to the FastPitchPrep.com website. Check out the YouTube channel. Check out the blogs. There's over 700 Bits of information there for you to tap into and order your square cuts training discs there. They are $49.95 a dozen. Go to the fastpitchprep.com website, click on the link, and we'll get them sent to you right away. As always, we're looking for nominations for Player of the Week and continue to contact us with questions, comments, or suggestions. We want to keep talking about stuff that you're interested in, and we had a really good uh, day today where the stuff that we talked about were suggestions from listeners, and we want to make sure that we're talking about the stuff that you want us to talk about. For Coach Don McKinley and our producer, Stan Lewis, this is Coach Tori saying thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week.